0: Because of confidentiality, I actually can't tell if the real reason why here comes <laughs> <laughs> something wrong, Mike? No, no, you're right. That's what happens when we'll you Just that. Can you see that, that line there? See, it's got to go this way. It's a correction. <laughs> now you'll be focused on the survey, mate. <laughs> if Andrew didn't move, I would have, I tell you. Hey, um, it's good to be back with you. Yeah. I just want to say something. I had someone email me after my last visit to you, and they were offended by something I said. So if there was anyone else that was offended, I am truly sorry, and I apologise for that. I spoke to God about it, and God said, Michael, you need to be humble and apologise. And I said, yeah, but what do I do about offending people? And he said, really? Offending people? If you don't want to offend people, don't get out of bed. And I say that respectfully. Because one of the things that the gospel brings is offense. One of the things that this book here, that's not just a book, it's God's word, it actually offends people because it's truth. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever had an argument with someone and you were holding the truth and they didn't like it, it offends them. And I want to talk about that a little bit today. But first of all, we're actually going to do a science lesson. I, I, I'm a bit of a cheap I like to try and not double up on things. So I'm actually doing a talk with some counselling people and social workers in a few weeks. So I thought, oh, I haven't got time, so I'm doubling up. No, not really. This is what I believe God wants us to hear. Right? So I want to look at the neuroscience of early development. For those who don't understand what it is, I'll give you a quick rundown. Okay, this here is a picture of the brain, it's not my brain, because it's not big enough. <laughs> okay, that was not funny. Okay, if this is out of a book, you uh, see on the bottom of the screen, You're not all writing there, but the top line, living from the heart that Jesus gave you, if you've never read it, get hold of it, I think everyone in ministry should read it, right? one of the most brilliant books when I was lecturing in college. I used to make all the pastors read it. They hated it. But by the end of the semester, they said, Wow! Right? What it helps people understand is what happens in the brain of a child as they develop. And this particular picture here, which is the four-level control center, helps us understand the progress of development. Right? The first place, if you look at the little dots, right in the middle, That's where we, as an individual, start growing from. From six hours to nine days after conception, that is being formed. That's called, well, in layman's terms, it's called the attachment center. It's actually the thalamus ganglia. it's a scientific term for it, in the middle of the brain. And that attachment, when the egg and the sperm join together, swims up the fallopian tube and attaches to the side of the woman's womb. And then we start growing from that. Between six hours and nine days after conception. That's amazing, right? The next thing that starts developing is also after conception. Six to nine weeks after conception is the amygdala, which is that thing there called the evaluation centre. So, From six to nine weeks after conception, a child in the mother's womb is able to evaluate... This is where the fight, flight and freeze centre of our brain comes from. It's able to evaluate fear, joy, happiness, peacefulness, contentment through the mum. Amazing. But it's also astounding too when you think of what some children... Mothers have to put up. That means the baby has to put up. Think about this. The next level is that banana shaped thing called the singular cortex synchronization sound. This takes place six to nine weeks after birth. Up until this point, the little bugs, has smelt mum, touched mum, taste mum, knows the texture of mum, and they tend to smile a lot, but usually that's because of wind and stuff like that. (laughs) But what happens on this particular period is mum comes to the bassinet and the baby looks and something registers in the brain. And it's like infrared, something goes off in the baby and something goes off in the mum and the mum sparks up and the baby sparks up, the little arms start going, the legs start going, and all of a sudden mum goes, oh my god, this are smiling at me! And of course they do this, Andrew, Andrew, quick, come over here, come over here! And Andrew sticks his head over the bottom of the top of the bassinet and the baby sees it and goes, Not just because of Andrew, <laughs> because it's that, doesn't Connect. Something interrupts the flight. He hasn't tasted Dad. not supposed to, right? (laughs) Sort of gets used to Dad's smell a little bit later. But as the baby bonds with Dad, and Dad, sorry, Dad bonds with the baby and starts holding and changing nappies and stuff like that, the baby will then begin to do the same thing. When he hears Dad come into the room, like that, he's excited. It's love. We took talking about God loving us. You know what? This is where it starts. Yeah. Yeah. This is where it starts. This is a classic example of what pure love is. That baby is helpless. It can't give anything. It has to be totally reliant on the love of the parents. That feeling, that... I can still remember my eldest daughter, who's 40. Oh, God. Right? I can still remember that feeling when I first and, and I was ill at the time I had an accident and I wasn't able to work and I was laying on my back and I couldn't stand up and hold it because the weight of holding the baby was too much pain on my spine so I had to lay on the floor and my wife would place Michelle on my tummy you know? and I, I remember the day I got strong enough to lift her up like that and hold her up and I was able to actually put her up there in front of my face. And her little eyes lit up. And her smile broke out on her face. <coughs> and her arms went. And I knew then I was her dad. I mean, I knew I was a dad before that, but emotionally I connected. You know? It was beautiful. I could still feel it now, as you can tell, you know? And then I can remember my second daughter, and then my son, and then my fourth daughter, third daughter. Also, child. Remember all of it. I remember getting our foster children, the same thing, relating to them when finally something clicked with us, you know, and that bond and that connection was real. But then you also remember the times. And then they're real too. And how beautiful it is to have restoration. Reconciliation. Only possible through God. This singular cortex, six to nine weeks after birth, and then come to this amazing prefrontal orbital cortex, six to nine years after birth, when the identity of a child becomes something of itself. Not its mum, not its dad, not its brothers and sisters, or its uncles or aunties. They're the ones that go to school at grade four, grade five. The teacher will say something, and they've got the guts, the balls, to stand up to the teacher and say, well, that's not true because we don't do that at our place. And all of a sudden, those things that mum and dad did at home get told in the classroom. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I had a teacher at our school, I was a school. school council president here for about seven years, and one of the teachers got to know really well. One of the teaching interviews, she pulled us aside and said, look, you know how kids often say things about home? And I thought, oh my goodness. The truth's going to get out, you know. And she said, well, tell you what, Michael and Gwenda, she said, I won't believe the things that they tell me about you if you don't believe the things they tell me about, tell you about me. (laughs) So we agreed, Okay. (laughs) He was a good union between staff and parents. You can't always believe everything kids take, can you? Because sometimes kids do tell porkies. And when I have them in my room, you know, I had one just recently where a child told his teacher that he wanted to hang himself on Monday night, just this last Monday. And then put it on Facebook and then on Snapchat, and on Instagram, and all that. And yet when the social worker and the parents sat down with him, he said, oh, no, I just set it for a joke. He's been And I hear that kind con- of con- conversation, all too frequently, unfortunately, Now, does that mean that child's suicidal? No, not necessarily. But does it mean they should just dis- disregard it? No, definitely not. But they've got to watch it. It turns out he'd had a fight with his girlfriend of two weeks. And what the fight was, he'd text her and she hadn't answered back within the hour. So he'd put on Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, right, that's it, I'm going to hang myself. I mean, that's sad. Would he have done it? No. He wouldn't have, I know that for a fact. But the fact that he was thinking that and wanting to say that to get response says that this kid was craving for love. Okay, why am I telling you this? Because this is about you. This is how you were raised. You were developed like this. Now, I'm not asking you to actually go back into your childhood and start pointing the finger at your parents and going, oh my God, oh my God, oh yeah. I'm not about that. This is about understanding, not blaming, right? Now the next thing we need to understand as we go and develop, there's a neuroscience of communication as well. I haven't got time to go into the strong detail Next slide, please, Lloyd. Um, this comes from a book called The Developing Mind by Dan Siegel and also by um, a guy called Lewis Colonsina, who has done a whole lot of stuff on um, communication. One of the really big things is how it actually. Next slide, please. How it actually connects with someone internally. Communication is not just about words; it's about connection. Yeah. Right. And some people can come to a church and sit there and. Oh, is it over there? And it doesn't connect. Well, I get that. I've been in services like that. You have to, you know? Hopefully, not today. <laughs> <laughs> but the truth is, you can have a conversation with a spouse who feel like that sometimes. Yeah. You can have a conversation with your kids who feel like that, with your parents who feel like that, with your teachers who feel like that. It doesn't connect. But you know when you sit with someone, even a friend, and you talk with them, and you know when it's connected. Yeah. Yeah. Right? But then connection is only the start. The next part is attunement. And this is when something of that person clicks with you and attunes with you and when you leave, it stays with you. Right? It's not just sitting back there. Think about this in our context of relationship with God. When we spend time with God, what God wants is connection. Yeah. I and mean, He's always connected, we're not. Right? Yeah. But we need to spend time to get connected with God. But it's the attunement. When we walk away from our time with God, something stays with us. Yeah, it's really right? Attunement. It's really important. And then, acceptance. And this is about relationship, really. Because sometimes in relationship, people do things, say things, don't do things, say things, that we don't like. That offend us. That's different than us. And what God wants is for us to be able to love as He loves, forgive as He forgives, and accept as He has accepted us. And this acceptance is about recognising that, yes, I was offended. Yes, that was different. Yes, that hurt. But I still love this person. I don't agree with everything everything Andrew says. I don't bother telling him everything I don't agree with, because what would that do to our friendship? Right? Oh, it's really good. I don't have to do that. But I can accept that he's different than me. Yeah. You ain't got to see him standing alongside like so. me. Mean, he's different than me, all right? <laughs> I don't have his good looks. Oh, I have said. <laughs> Man, yeah, he doesn't have mine. <laughs> I definitely don't have his figure. I not saying I want his figure. <laughs> Just so I have it. it's different, okay? But I accept the fact that that's Andrew. That's Andrew and this is me. right? And we're not in a competition. Yeah. Well, at least as far as I know, we're not, are we? No. We're not. Right? But we need to learn to accept that people are different. Yeah. That's part of what God's economy is about when it comes to relationship. Yeah, right. If you don't believe it, read the newspaper. The newspapers are full of them and us mentality. <coughs> Whether it be political, would it be gender-sexual? Would it be ideology? Our country can easily be divided just by reading the newspaper every Monday morning. What God wants is for us to understand this whole concept of communication is not about them and us, it's about us. We're all us. There's no them and us, it's just us and God. Connection is a start. Attunement, when something sits in here and we walk away from it. And then sometimes even when that's different we can walk away from it, we can still love in the face of that. That's acceptance. Now, next slide please. I'm going to give you a quick lesson on how to take this information and put it in your pocket and take it home. Okay? Hold up your hand like this. Please. Repeat after me. No. (laughs) Leave your hand up. Fold your thumb over there, and then put your hand down over the top of that like that. This is a really handy model of your brain. You can put it in your pocket and take it up. Okay? Now, first of all, if you had another thumb, it would be like that. Right? On either side of your brain, you have an amygdala. That's the top of your thumb. That's your fight, flight, and freeze sound. Then down on the side of the thumb is your hippocampus. As it says, hippo, large, canvas, learning sound. Everything you've learned in life gets stored in there on the left and the right side of the brain. The left side is factual, the right side is creativity, fantasy, imagination, relationships, raw emotion. On the left side, it's language, it's logic, it's lists, it's labels, it's all those things you tick off on the list. They all start with alpha, it's easy because it's on the left, right? And then you have this particular part of the hand, The three fingers in the front here, you have identity, connection and empathy. Touching the frontal cortex. That's where it's held, that's where it's stored, that's where it's information is filed. And then in the next bottom knuckles, you have four knuckles there. The first one is pause. That's when you, like Andrew was saying before, when kids are hungry, sometimes they want to go and get something now. No, press pause. Delay gratification. Or maybe I want to say something to my wife, but maybe better not, so press pause. Impulse control. Then the next one is about making decisions full stop. Some people are not good at making decisions, and that's the area of the brain that affects that. And then the next one is about moral judgment. Being able to make a decision and understand the consequence of that decision. Some people are not good at that. All right? And then the fourth one is about... Staying focused on something so you can get it finished. Some people aren't good at that, right? Often, I'll tell you something. just is a little aside. Often, elders' children are not very good at holding on to decisions and following through. They start a lot of things and not finish them. Just just follow them away through yet, right? And then, of course. The cerebral cortex, which is the whole lot of it, sits right over the top. And what it does is picks up all that information, including from the brainstem and the limbic system inside, which is the is right in the middle of, and it picks up all that information and makes decisions on that executive function. Right? That's our brain comes. And this is That slide is actually from a book that we used, that I developed a few years ago, that we use in our schools around Melton and Baptist Marsh in other areas, now across 22 different schools. Now we started in Melbourne, it's across 22 different schools, called Cool Heads Programme. That teaches kids to become self-aware, self-regulate, and have empathy for themselves and for other people. (coughs) One of the things we use for it. Next slide, please, Hillary. Then moving on from that is the neuroscience of identity. How does our identity get formed? Well, identity forms obviously from our family background, but it forms by feeling secure. Right? If you are not secure, in other words, things aren't stable, and you will not have security in your identity. Think about this how secure is God? How stable is God? How constant is God? No wonder we can feel secure in a relationship. In our human relationships, if we don't have security and stability, which comes through acceptance, God accepts us for who we are, not what we do. God does not accept us for what we do, because if it was based on what we do, we can undo what we did. Yeah. Because we do bad things, too. Yeah. Don't we? Yeah. I'm not going to ask you to put up your hands like Andrew said before, but I know that's true because I do. right? And I'm no different than you, not that different than me when it comes to that. We're human beings, not human doings. And God wants to relate to us as beings, not doings, right? Significance, that is to be in a relationship and have some sense of specialness. And I come from a family of seven, surviving from nine children, and I can tell you at times you didn't know where you fitted. And I'm not blaming my parents for that, just the number of kids. Mind you, my dad and mum both come from families of nine, so you know I thought I was lost. So when we had family get-togethers, there was a whole lot of kids everywhere. You know, it was fun, but we certainly got lost in amongst them all. But the truth is, significance comes from being affirmed by people around us for who we are, not what we do. Who we are. Affirmation is needed for us to have a sense of who we are. And if we don't get that enough in our family of origin, or our mateships, or our friendships, or our relationships, we struggle. And then the third thing, what this does, if we're secure and if we have adequate affirmation, we gain a level of sensitivity that enables us to be sensitive to those around us. And that's what God wants us to have. God wants us to be sensitive to people around us. Right? That's That's why I shouldn't be offended if someone emailed me and said, I didn't like what you said. I need to be sensitive to that. So that sensitivity comes from affection. And affection, I don't mean physical cuddles and handling. That might be part of it. But the Greek word for affection means to show that you care. You do something and you be something to somebody that affects them, that does something for them that changes how they feel about themselves and how they feel about you. That's affection. That promotes and brings on sensitivity. Now I was telling you this because, well, Janine, thank you for those beautiful words that you mentioned before because it springs off from where we talked about last time about shame and relationships. Well, go back to Adam and Eve. You know, relationships have always been complicated. Adam and Eve were blaming each other. Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed God's enemy. And then the enemy just said, well, you made me. You know, just pats the back all the time. None were taking responsibility for themselves. And that's what God wants in, this, in relationship. Us to take responsibility. Not just with other people, but with our relationship with God. Yeah. You know what? One of the things I hear from people is that they say, Oh, I don't think my relationship with God's work. Well, why is that? Well, God doesn't do this, and God doesn't do this, and God doesn't do that. Well, what do you do? What do you mean? Well, what are you doing for God? Well, I don't know, I'm just struggling in my life, you know? And I'm not knocking the fact that we struggle, because we all struggle. But sometimes we have this opinion that God's got to do everything. And I'm going to tell you, folks, that's not the way it works. Jesus said, My family are those who hear my words and put it into practice. My family are those who hear my words and put it into practice. You know what practice means? Practice. Yeah. <laughs> Which means sometimes you're going to get it wrong. Yeah. You've got to keep going until you get it right. And even then, you still have to practice. You know, I remember when my son was playing, he's not playing now, he's retired, but... Yeah, he's retired. Football, 35, so he's not playing football anymore. But when he was playing with Ballerock North, in the last year that they were North, before they got kicked out and had to go out to the dance room. In the under road, he playing for the Rebels and they're playing in the final. Game. And they try, I can't believe how much, I mean, I played football when I was young for Ballard East and I can tell you we trained hard. Like, we used to go up to the Grampians for a weekend and run up and down the women Elephant's High. That was hard training, right? I said to my son, have you ever been up Elephant's High? He said, where's that? What's that? Right, <laughs> well, you never trained there. But I'll tell you When I watched those guys train, I thought, man, this guy's grinding them into the ground. The coach was Anthony Rock, former North Melbourne player. Anyway, they were training, and I mean, they were training hard. But it wasn't just about the training. They had to practice these drills. And they had to practice the drills. And they beat the the best team, and they got into the finals. And then Nathan comes home, and he had this 25-page document on the two players he was expected to play on on Saturday. And I said, what's this? This was Monday night. And he said, I've got to learn this for tomorrow night's when i go to training on Tuesday. And he had to practice it. And then I went to training on Wednesday and practiced that. And then on Thursday, and practiced that. And then on Friday, I practiced that. And then he went to a team meeting and a strategy meeting for the backmen and the forwards and the centres on the Saturday morning before the game. And then he found out he wasn't on those two guys. So we got another 20-page document to do I said, how are you got to practice that? And he said, oh, can't. I can't. I've just got to remember it there. Anyway, they did well. They won. They didn't win the final. They won that one in the next one. But he played well. And at the end of the day, I was astounded at how much practice they had to do. They were the best, but they still had to practice. Yeah. So when Jesus says, my family are those who hear my words and put it into practice, there's no giving up folks. Like yeah. We're going to get up and practice every day. Back. Well, if you can't do that, go and do this, One laps. Mm. Yeah. That's what we had to do with training. Mm. If you can't do all the drills, you at least do laps. Yeah. And if you can't do laps on the oval, do laps in the pool. Yeah. You know, it was doing something. That's what it's about. Now, shame, as we said before in the hymn, is one of the things that trips us up all the time and distorts the truth it changes how we see ourselves before God. It changes how we see other people and how we perceive the relationship to them. The problem is, shame isn't the truth. What we need to understand is truth never changes. Never changes. Truth is always truth. I'm not talking about your truth and my truth. I'm talking about the truth. There is only one truth. And that's God's truth. right? And I believe... I'm going to say something here. I believe that all truth is God's truth. Because God is truth. So it doesn't matter who discovers something and says, look what we've discovered. It's not science. It might be discovered through science, but it's true. It's God's. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All truth belongs to God. So there's no need for us to feel ashamed about hiding truth. If it's true, it's going to be true whether it's in the dark or in the light. Right? It's It's always true. We don't have to apologise for it. Hang on to it. Live it. The trouble is, like the stuff we talked about in the brain stuff and growing up and developing, that's our truth as well. We need to own that. That sometimes there's stuff that happens in our families that wasn't perfect. It never meant to hurt us and shape us in a bad way, but it has. And we need to own that before God. And then seek about doing something to correct it. Yeah. I'm not necessarily talking about everyone has to go into counseling. I don't mean that. Although some might need to. Right? What I'm talking about is hearing God's truth. Now, what I didn't show you, what I meant to put in there, but because I was doing this in another place where I had the slides somewhere else I could put them in, was the brain development. When you get into good, wholesome relationships, your brain, your pathways change. Now I've got a slide where a lady comes in for counselling, and she's been in a domestic violent relationship. And when you put the brain scan, spect scan of her brain up, there's a big hole in the right quadrant. Not because it's died, but because there's no connectivity there, because she's shut down. Now the right side of the brain is the emotional side of the brain. That means that when they're in a domestic violent relationship, for instance, they have to shut off their emotions. They feel things very strongly. But they have to shut down to be able to cope. And that affects the way they relate to their children. After 10 months of intense therapy, she's in a living situation, where she does therapy every day individually and in groups and does lots of other physical things and spiritual things as well, another brain scan is taken. And 75% of that growth has come back. Wow. Wow. Not because someone's done a brain transplant, but because through the relationships that she has with the therapist and the other people in the centre in the group, and this is what God does in relationship when we're in healthy relationship. Yeah. That's what it's like when we have a good relationship with God It heals stuff yeah. Yeah. and enables us to get into relationship with other people that heals them. Yeah. Don't be misled, the word God says. You cannot mock justice of God. You will reap what you sow. So, if you don't do anything about it, it's still going to be there. Yeah. There's something that God says, okay, that's your department. Yeah, seriously. God does not get your breakfast for you, <laughs> God does not shower you. Yeah. You have to do some things. Yeah. Your self care is your responsibility. Yeah. That's not God's. Yeah. Right? So, there are certain things in life that we have to take responsibility for. Yes. Now, the talk today is about the six traits. These are the six that I picked out that I think are really good, right, for actually helping repair our relationship, despair in our relationship, and our brain function. So, well, let's look at these. And, Hillary. Yeah. The first one is to understand. Not demand. Think about this. Christ Jesus came into this world. Look at Philippians chapter 2, 1 to 5. Therefore, if you have any encouragement for being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love being insane insane in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest only, but to each of you the interest of others. Notice that. Not only yours only. doesn't disclude yours. right? But you've got to include others. Into your relationship with one another. Have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. What was Jesus' mindset? Jesus never ever Demanded anything of anyone. Yeah. Never. He asked, but he didn't demand. And he understood. The rich young ruler would come to him and said, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus didn't tell him, demand. He said, Well, do this, you know? Obey the Ten Commandments? And he said, Well, I've done all that. He said, Okay, cool. Um, Money for you, you want to go and sell everything and give it to the poor. Jesus didn't chase up and say, mate, do you realise what you're doing? You were turning your back on God's eternity? No, he didn't. He didn't demand anything. He understood. You need to understand that. Even when it comes to salvation. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And if anyone would open the door, I will come in and I will have communion with him, relationship, and he with me. But if you don't, the SWAT team will come. Well, hang on. Sorry, no, it doesn't say that. No. That's not how God works. Right? That's not how God works. The second one, is to be tender, but not surrender what you're standing on. Think about this. Romans 1 says this in the message. Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. Like me and Andrew, right? And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with, even when it seems that they're strong on their opinions but weak in their faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. Yeah. Right? Be tender, but don't surrender your ground. Remember what I said about truth? Truth is truth. And it's not meant to be used as a hit them over the head. bat. it's meant to be used to actually prompt people to hear God. Romans 2.4 says... It's God's kindness that leads people to repentance. Yeah. Yeah. God's kindness. Part of dealing with a difficult situation is holding ground without losing the battle. But sometimes, you know what, the bigger picture is we lose ourselves when we try and win the battle. We give up on our values. All of a sudden, that argument becomes more important than us Betraying a like-mindedness of Christ. No argument's worth that. It doesn't matter what the issue is. Because as soon as people misread us standing up for Christ to be more important about an issue, yeah. we've lost the picture. As far as I'm concerned. You. you don't need to apologise for speaking the truth. In fact, Ephesians 4, 4 14 through 18 tells us that when we do speak the truth in love, people actually grow up. They actually mature. And the relationship matures. And in fact, they're talking about the church and they said they grow up into one head, Christ, and then they can minister to one another the way God designed them to. The third thing to get your word across, don't get cross. To get your word across, don't get cross. How many times, you know, Proverbs 15.1 says, soft answer turns away anger. But harsh words only stir it up. How many times have you had a discussion, or maybe a bit more than a discussion with your spouse or a partner or someone, even in business, and they pressed your button or they... Click your switch or they touch that tender spot, and all of a sudden, your nice demeanor changes. Yeah, that's me. And the words are no longer soft. Right? That's what it's talking about here. If you want to get your point across, don't get cross. Fourth one be gentle and not judgment. Be gentle but not judgment. Matthew 7.1 says, the message, don't pick on people or jump on their failures or criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. I like the Australian content in the message. If someone disappoints you this week, be gentle. Not judgmental. Otherwise you might find yourself digging from the same stink bucket with the same stinky shoulder. Fifth one. Say what you mean, mean what you say, and don't say mean. Say it again. Say what you mean, mean what you say, and don't say mean. Think about this. Matthew 5.37 says, let your yes be yes, and no be no. No grey areas. you don't have to be mean about it. Stand on your truth, be graceful, say it once, say it firmly, that's it. It doesn't have to change because they don't agree, it's still the truth. Say what you mean, mean what you say, don't say it to me. I had a young guy in my office the other day, who was saying he was really confused about what his wife was on about, I said, what do you mean? And I've seen him a couple of times, they've been in a relationship for the last eight years, and it's been quite violent. For her, and he hasn't known stuff. And anyway, she got jack of it, and finally she said, in her own words, she said, You Michael, I can't put up with it anymore. And I said, Okay, what are you gonna do? And she said, oh, I have to do something. I said, So what are you gonna do? And she said, I'm gonna tell him that I want him out. And I said, Oh, okay. So how are you gonna do that? She said, I don't know, but I'm not gonna scream and you like I've done before, I'm not gonna thrash at him, I'm not gonna heed, I'm just gonna to say to him okay, when you come home tonight, the house is going to be locked, and you won't be able to get in. I'm not going to put up with it anymore. If you will not come back, you've got to go and get some help and change. He went off to work and forgot all about it. When he came home that night, he couldn't get in the front door. And he rang me up and he said, what have you told her to do? I said, I didn't tell her to do anything. Why? What has she done?" And he said, I can't get in the house. I said, oh, so you were unaware of this? And he said, well, well, oh, hang on, no, she did say something about this morning. But I'm a bit confused because I don't know whether to believe her or not. When he went to the bank to try and get some money, he noticed that there was less in the account. They had a joint account and she's actually taken half the money out and left half it for him. But she's gone and set up another account for herself. He can still access it, so he had somewhere to stay that night. But when you come into counseling, you say, I'm so confused, I don't know whether to believe her or not. I said, Why? He said, Well, she wasn't screaming or yelling. There's some people that means a lot. And we're living in a society, unfortunately, folks, where we think it's okay to do that, and it's not. We need to get back to actually saying what we mean, mean what we say, don't say it means. Stand on the truth. And this last one, number six love as God loves. To give, not to get. Heaven's to Betsy. If God was going to love us to get something from us, he must be pretty disappointed. Yeah? yeah. I don't want to talk about me. I don't even know anything about you. Right? God doesn't love to get. But the three things in the New Testament God asks us to do. John 13 and 34. Love one another as I have loved you. Ephesians 4.32 Forgive one another as I in Christ have forgiven you. Romans 15.7 Accept one another as I in Christ have accepted you. Now how did he do that? He didn't say, I'm going to love you if. No he didn't. I'm going to forgive you if. No. I'm going to accept you if. No he didn't. He did all that first and he says, right, now I'm here for the relationship if you want. No No demand. An open invitation, open arms. His hands bleeding, his head bleeding, his heart bleeding. I love you. I want you. I want you to be in a relationship with you. That's how much he loves us. That's God. That's Jesus. God is love. First John 4 8 says, Whoever does not love but does not know God, because God is love. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with sinning. Wow. God loves you. Yeah. He's not some big over-up there with a stick waiting for you to do the wrong thing. Gotcha! That's been done away with. And we need to get that. We need to get that. Our relationship with God is not based on our doing. It's based on His being. Yeah. He is love. Yeah. Nothing we do can measure up to that. Nothing we can be will measure up to that. Yeah. None of our love offering, I'm sorry, much as beautiful as our worship can be, can ever be enough for God. But that doesn't bother Him. Because He's not measuring. He's just loving. loving. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with yeah. Christ. Even when we were deserving to be dead, yeah. he made us alive. Yeah. It's by his grace that we've been saved. Mm-hmm. You see, God loves to give, not to get. Mm-hmm. Lamentations, and this is a big one, 3, 22. 23. says, because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. Amen? We're not consumed. For his compassion never fail, for they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Can you imagine what that would be like? New every morning. No more hangovers from an argument. No more three days of cold silence. You know what I'm talking about. Refreshed love every morning what God desires for us. That's what He's offering for us. That's what He wants for us. And not only in our relationship with Him, but with each other. The best thing is this, that the love bond that our Heavenly Father has with us cannot be damaged. Nothing you can do can destroy it, because it's not based on you. It's based solely, 100%, On who he is love, truth, righteousness, mercy, grace. He is all that and is offering and says, I want it for you. And the greatest thing is Romans 8 37 39 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors from him who loved us. For I am convinced, Paul says, that nothing, neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor height nor death, or present, or past, or future, or any powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. That is in Christ Jesus. God loves us. He loves you. And he wants you to have loving relationships. I believe if you practice God's word your brains will change. Your hearts will change. Your spirits will change. And so will the relationships you have. Because that's what happens every day in life without us even knowing. So think about it. If we were intentional about it, how much speedier would the growth and development be? Particularly with God on our side. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Stand, please. Father God, we don't understand how much you rise. We cannot comprehend it, but we need it ever so badly. We pray this day that you will love will find a place in our hearts, that we will let you into our innermost beings, that we will allow you to do your work in us through your ever-present Holy Spirit, challenging us, convicting us, encouraging us to open our heart, soul, mind and strength so that you may use us in all of our relationships. May we this week be your love to those around us. May we be your tenderness, your gentleness, your yes and no, your understanding, your truth in love so that then people around us may experience that freshness, that authenticity, that genuineness like never before. And may this week we be more like Jesus so that we can impact our world so that others may experience the loving God that we are. In Jesus' name. God. Amen. 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 If you would like prayer, feel free to come forward. If you want to come say something to me, good or bad, feel well. Okay? Thank you for your patience. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you.